You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. There are many things in Jesus' last days that are strange. Our children's video retold one of them. Instead of a a special anointing, Jesus received some perfume and tears from a repented woman. And those things were seen and received as anointing or a, a special blessing that sets someone aside for a specific task. And that... Anointing was received, but God did not use a a priest or a prophet or a politician to do it, but instead a woman who couldn't be modest if she tried. Last year, on this Sunday, we read and heard about our victorious king. Except he was riding on a donkey and proclaiming a kingdom that seemed to have no interest in overthrowing what was already established in Jerusalem. And I say that because he ended up not doing anything about it, right? Or at least nothing that everyone else around him saw as being particularly important. On the other hand, he did steal a donkey, so I guess that's kind of a revolutionary act. I think he gave the donkey back. I don't know. You can read the text and find out for yourself. And then we begin today with an unexpected turn of events. Gentiles, Greeks, non-Jews, following after this strange, poor teacher riding on a possibly stolen donkey. Why would that be significant? Why would it be significant that Jesus... Um, sees himself this being a significant event. He, He says, wait, the Gentiles are here? The hour has come. That seems a bit curious, doesn't it? There have been so many things that have happened. Jesus has risen a man from the dead. The Pharisees are trying to figure out how to kill that man that Jesus has risen from the dead. They're trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. Um, Jesus has declared that He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus has declared Himself to be everything that only God could be. And yet, here's Jesus. The Greeks are here. Hours come. This is it. Why would He say this? Well, to give you a couple of reasons why he would say this, we can actually go back to our Zechariah passage this morning. Um, In fact, I'll I'll turn over there for just a second, if I can find it. Zechariah chapter 9, and this is what we read. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And this is talking about when the Messiah comes. He comes riding on the foal of a donkey, on a young donkey. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. You mean to Israel? To the nations. All of them. 
and he shall rule from sea to sea and from where the water begins in the river to where it ends out there in the ends of the earth. See, these Greeks seen a, a strange teacher riding on a donkey and everyone proclaiming him as king. For whatever reason, they decide we got to know who that guy is. And the disciples are confused by this and they confer with one another and then they take it to Jesus and Jesus says, the hour has come. For what? For peace to be spoken over the nations. For judgment to fall. And for salvation to come through that judgment. And we all know who that judgment is going to fall upon. It's not going to be you, and it's not going to be me. Also here with these Greeks, these Gentiles coming, we see the promise that was made to Abraham so many years ago that we looked at in length when we were studying the book of Exodus, right? Um, that, that Abraham's children would be greater than the stars of the sky, greater than all the sand on the beach. This is how many people would come and be a part of the family of faith, of Abraham's family. And so, yes, we read there in chapter 12 that the Greeks have come and Jesus says His hour has also come. And what does He say? Whoever loses his life, or whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, a couple things that we have to keep in mind throughout the course of this passage. Everyone that is listening to Jesus right now has been listening to Jesus. Okay? Um, this would be like if I was doing something wrong... And you heard me do something wrong once and you had to let it go because, look, I mean, what? Wade was maybe having a bad day. But someone else comes along and says, no, it was yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that and it's becoming a problem. All of these people have been listening to Jesus, teaching after teaching, lesson after lesson, sermon after sermon, Him declaring Himself to be God. Him declaring Himself to be God's Messiah, the one sent to deal with all of the mess and the brokenness of this world. And so everyone that's listening to Him has a bit of a track record with what it is that He has to say. He says that He has to be like a, a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and sprouts up more grain. Death has to take place for life to occur, Jesus is saying. However, if you're so busy loving this life, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it eternally. Yes, you're also going to lose it in the here and now. What Jesus is telling us is that, look, if you love this life so much right now, you are going to be focused on anything but the life that Christ has for you. And in the midst of loving that life and ignoring Christ and ignoring His work for you, you're also going to lose your life in the future for eternity. 
Whereas Jesus, using a bit of hyperbole, says, but if you hate your life, then you can keep it. Okay, fine. I hate myself. Sold. Okay, that's for other reasons. No, Jesus isn't actually telling you that you must hate your life, uh, that, that you must despise life and just wish to be taken out of this world. No, instead, what Jesus is saying, don't love your life the way that people without faith love their life. You have to hold on to it loosely. You have to have it in an open hand. And Jesus continues, If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there will My servant be also. If anyone serves Me, the Father will honor him. So the natural question would be, well, am I, am I serving Jesus? Well, the answer to that Jesus actually gives you. Are you following Him? And for those people that are quite literally following behind Him, what, what would be the definition of following Jesus here? It would be listening to what He has to say and believing in what it is that He has said. And so this would be the requirement here. And this would be the same requirement for you. And Jesus continues on, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Father, glorify Your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I love this. This is the third time in Jesus' ministry that we can piece together from the different Gospel texts that God speaks from heaven audibly for others to hear His voice. Now, interestingly enough, some people hear it as thunder. And some people hear it as God speaking to Him. <laughs> what does this mean? Well, you know, we actually saw thunder last week at the top of Mount Sinai. And we see thunder in other places too, don't we? We see a thunderstorm on the Sea of Galilee. We see, um, uh, we see thunder speaking out of the whirlwind when God is talking to Job. Interestingly enough, some people hear this thunderstorm brewing and they, they hear it as judgment. And others who have ears to hear, who have been granted and gifted faith by God, hear this rumble and they know that it is God speaking to His chosen and anointed Son, His servant, His Messiah. And we all know this, right? Each and every time you hear God's Word, one of two things will happen. You either will believe or you will not believe. It's pretty simple. It's pretty black and white. Much of Scripture is pretty black and white. There's very little gray area when it comes to faith in Christ. And in this text, we see no gray area at all. See, some people saw Jesus standing in front of them and they heard the voice of God and some of them heard it as law and condemnation and judgment and others heard it as gospel. The two words that God is always speaking to us. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world has been, 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This phrase could be heard in a, in a heroic way, right? Like kind of the transfiguration kind of Jesus standing up on the mount. Uh, but Jesus is saying this in a very different way. And John lets us in on what's happening here. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knows he is going to be lifted up upon a cross. And that people are either going to see it as judgment or they are going to see it as salvation. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body, uh, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And then a little bit further on in the same chapter. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown with dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Paul here is talking about your resurrection and the promise of your life. The life that you despised and yet is given back to you because of what Christ has done for you. The life that He lived for you, the death that He dies for you, and the resurrection that you share with Him. Elsewhere, John chapter 5, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, or very truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus Himself is saying, look, if you're hearing My words right now and you believe them, you have passed from death to life and judgment is not yours. Whose is it? Well, at that time, everyone's saying, good, everyone else is going to get judged but me. <laughs> when the reality was, Jesus was saying, that judgment is Mine and I'm going to take it upon Myself for you. It's interesting here that even this late in His ministry, Jesus is, uh, here in chapter 12, referring to His Father. Uh, he talks about His work, what He's going to do, but then He also refers back to His Father, like He did here at the beginning of John's Gospel. Um, and, and I love it because it shows a certain amount of graciousness in Jesus. Look, Jesus at this point, He should be able to say to everyone, I'm the guy. I'm going to die for your sins. And He actually has said it over and over and over again. And people still aren't believing. And so what does He say? Remember, I'm the guy that was sent from God. He's referring back to the Father once again. Why? So that maybe, just maybe, these softened, these hardened hearts that are in front of Him. So don't be confused. People don't just hear the Word of God once and then their heart hardens and that's the end of the story. All of these people have been hearing this Word preached over and over and over again. And the hardening of their hearts... Think about Pharaoh again for a minute. What happened? At the beginning, we saw Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then each time, the Word 
was sent from Moses to Pharaoh, it just says his heart became hard. It became hard. It became hard. And then finally, we see, and God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. There's a pattern in the hardening of hearts. That at a certain point, when you have so grossly not wanted to hear the Word of the Lord, nothing can happen but your heart growing hard to it. Now don't don't hear that as an example in all circumstances. Hear that as an example of what's going on in this text. Because what do we see happening with the religious leaders? All along, they've had hardened hearts towards Jesus and His work. But now, we actually see the kind of language that we heard about uh, in the book of Exodus. That God Himself is now stepping in with His Word and their hearts are being hardened even more. When Jesus had said these things, He departed. uh, I'm back into verse 36. And hid Himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before him, they, before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So why am I saying that God is hardening their hearts? We actually see John here ascribing the hardening of their hearts as a fulfillment of prophecy. Their hearts became hard so that this prophecy would be made true. Lord, who has believed was what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Uh, we see that in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, chapter 10, and then also in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That's the prophet Isaiah speaking to, uh, or what the word that the prophet Isaiah is given to speak to God's people, Israel. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke, that is God's glory, and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. So here we have, Uh, political, local, religious authorities believing in Jesus. And yet they're afraid to trust in Jesus. Why is that? Or rather, some of them maybe are afraid to say that they trust in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Which might come as a surprise as picking up this text right here. But back in John chapter 9, verse 22, there was a man who had been blind since youth or since birth. And um, Jesus heals this man and the Pharisees go to the family and they confirm, was your son really blind? And then they threaten this family in John chapter 9, verse 22. And they say, don't you dare tell anyone about this or you're going to be put out of the synagogue. Why would that be a big deal? Well, because in the synagogue, this is where you can go to worship God. This is where you can go to confess your sins. This is where sacrifices are made to cover over your sin. This is the place of utmost importance. And if you're removed from there, well, maybe this Jesus guy's got something good going on, but can it keep going on forever? I mean, look, 
Think about the unbelief that we've seen in Jesus' ministry before, right? Uh, Jesus standing up, he's preaching, and the people are getting hungry at, uh, you know, at least 5,000 people. He's got a couple of loaves of bread, he's got a couple of fish, and he divvies it up, and the food just keeps flowing. And everyone hears Jesus' teaching, and their bellies are full, and they say, well, how do we get this bread all the time? No, 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 no. We get it. You're the bread of life. That's really cool. But what about this bread? Because I think what you're saying is, you want to fill me up all the time. And Jesus actually has to run away from the people because they have so grossly misunderstood what His purposes are. Because their hearts are hard. And they're hungry. And they're in need. And yet their inability to see past this need has blinded them to their greater need of the removal of sin and guilt. So they were fearing being put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now this passage here, we've got an interesting way of talking about glory, don't we? Jesus talks about being glorified. But we know exactly what that means. Uh, It means Him being lifted up on a cross. It, It looks like death is the path to glory for Jesus. And no one wants that kind of glory. That's a hard kind of glory to desire. For you and I, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, Jesus takes us from a place of of old life to death. And He raises us up to new life with the promise of glory. Uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, that being John the Baptist, for the works of the fa- for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come from my fa- I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Why? Because he's seeking glory from men, Jesus is saying. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope, Jesus is saying to, to the people in this circumstance, you're looking to the law to save you. You want that the head 
the, the person who was the head over God's law, Moses, to reach down and look upon you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have kept every part of this promise. Moses, on whom you have set your hope, Jesus is saying, he's the one that accuses you. I don't need to do that. For if you believed Moses, for if you had truly believed Moses, you would, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is a very serious and somber passage that takes us into Good Friday. Here, we're not left with a lot of hope. Each and every week, it's, it's pretty easy to just, hey, look, there's the law. Here's the Gospel. And this week, it's a lot harder. Because we know that this kind of unbelief continues all the way to the cross for Jesus. But let's hear it from Jesus' words one more time and finish off this chapter 12 of John. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but Him who sent Me. And here He is pointing to the Father again for the sake of those with a weak conscience who don't want to just plainly hear the Word of God and clearly see their Savior standing in front of them. And whoever sees Me, and whoever sees, and whoever sees Me sees Him who sent Me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears My words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects Me and does not receive My words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on My own authority, but the Father who sent Me has Himself given Me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus is proclaiming to you here and now, believe in Me. Trust in Me. Rest and rely upon Me. Last week we said that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And this week, we see that rejecting the promised One of God is rejecting the promises of God as well. Everyone was standing around Jesus throughout the entirety of His ministry looking for that healing, looking for that bread that would just keep on producing, the magic bread, the magic fish, Uh, looking for um, the promise of a land that would be reunited looking for the promise of a kingdom that would be solid and secure for all ages. But if you reject the promised one, you reject all those good promises from God too. This is exactly what Jesus was experiencing here with those who were following behind Him. Their hearts were growing hard. And He's pleading with them to see that they're not just rejecting Him, but they're rejecting God and all of the good things that He promises to bless them with. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love You. 
And we pray this morning, Lord, that we, when we hear Your Word, that we would respond in faith. For those of us that know Your Son, Jesus, as our Savior, we we also know that uh, He has been appointed, that He has been anointed uh, to be our, our prophet, the one that speaks the words of God to us for us to hear and to obey and to respond to. And that He has been appointed as our teacher. And that He fully reveals to us God's will concerning our deliverance. Lord, we are also grateful that Jesus does not just simply come as a prophet or as a teacher. Um, that He does not simply come as someone that's able and willing to reveal God's will of our salvation to us. But He also comes as our great High Priest who sacrifices His body on our behalf. And that even now we know uh, that we have been guaranteed that He is there beside you pleading our case with His blood so that we might be saved. Father God, we are thankful for a faithful and eternal King who who directs and guides and governs us by His Word and by the Spirit. Father God, we are thankful for a Savior that guards us and keeps us in the freedom that He has won for us. Help us always to respond in faith, Lord. And to always be willing to come back to You. Ready to hear and to repent and to listen again. God, soften our hearts. Let us us not forget the criminal's death that our Savior died for us on the cross. And won for us freedom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.